Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be back. <laughs> Praise God. Turn to the book of Ruth with me, if you would. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. For those of you here for the first time, we're working our way through the Bible, and I'm, I'm over the moon that we did this. It was a good idea. I've been meaning to do it for many years, but you uncover many things, things you would never look at, things that maybe would never enter your mind just by simply, methodically going through Scripture. Now, Ruth is a famous book. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament in picture form. The Old Testament is the New Testament in story form. And probably nowhere is that more clearly seen than in the book of Ruth. There are three big characters. I like this picture here. Looks a bit like Osama bin Laden, doesn't it? But she didn't meet Osama bin Laden. This is Ruth. And Ruth represents you. Boaz, standing there, Boaz represents Jesus Christ. And Naomi, well, she represents Israel or the Hebrew people at that time. And this is a story about you. It's a story of what was going to happen to you. And if you're born again this morning, it's a story of what has already happened to you. The most famous line from the book, and I won't go into it in any detail, but Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. This is the famous, most famous line from the book. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And on she goes. And really, Ruth is showing the church. She's a Gentile, right? I won't go into the story, but there was a famine in Israel. And, and, and Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they had to flee. And they took their two sons with them. And they went down to Moab, and there the two sons married lost people, if you like. They shouldn't have done it, but that's what they did. They married Moabites. But all the men died. Elimelech died, the two sons died, and the women are left on their own. And it's a tragedy, a terrible situation. And, and one of the daughters says, well, I'm off. The famine's over, I'm going back. But Ruth doesn't do that. You're Ruth. Ruth says to Israel, where you go, I will go. I will be faithful to you till the day I die. I'm not leaving you, Naomi. And it was, a, it was a foreshadow of what God wanted. We're the Gentiles. We're Ruth. And through Naomi, Ruth came to meet the children of God. And through the Jews, you found God. It was through them. And we must never, ever turn our back on Israel. So you must be like Ruth. And let those words be you know, what's in your heart to always pray for Israel. As I say, the Old Testament is the New Testament in picture form. And she, did, she, she, she really is outstanding in her commitment there. Now, today's topic is, is kind of a funny one. It's the topic of adoption. Now, I don't know. I, not something we've covered before, but it's something that we maybe should have covered before. I guess we never looked at the book of Ruth before. Would you consider adopting a child? Have you ever considered Adopting a child, when I married Jeanette, she already had a son, and he was six. And we, so I kind of sort of adopted. I'm his stepfather. So I, I know what that's like. I don't have any natural children, but I know what it's like to bring a child into my life. And in fact, God was incredibly good to me and gracious to me. You know, you hear so many horror stories about stepchildren and stepfathers, but actually it was a real dream. He was a very, very, very good boy. 
indeed. So I know a little bit about this, but adoption in the Bible, it's a big theme. Moses was adopted. Esther was adopted. Ruth was adopted. And in fact, if you were born again, you've been adopted. Right? It's not just about being saved, as we'll see in a moment. Now, to adopt a child today really is probably about as far removed from the spirit of the age as you can imagine. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. What do you think that is? 949,479,786. Any guesses what that is? That's the number of abortions last year. Only last year. The number of recorded abortions in the world. And I got a lot of flack from people the last time I mentioned abortion. I don't think you understand, folks. Abortion was never common. Yes, it happened. But it happened in in odd circumstances around the world. It's only in these last days that lawlessness and wickedness of this sort well, I mean, this is unthinkable. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. The, 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 you know, the concept that this could happen is, is beyond thought for previous generations. 949 million children aborted. And then you get into, won't get into it this morning, but the whole partial birth abortion where they're now, they can legally abort children at eight months and all that sort of thing. Terrible, terrible things going on in the world. This is the spirit of the age in which you live. It is not the spirit of adoption or caring. It's the spirit like this that says, the baby is an inconvenience, so get rid of it. In fact, it's a spirit that says, children are an inconvenience. Children should be seen and not... How terrible. How wicked. That's the spirit of this age. There you go. Point proven. Children have become an inconvenience. And if we do happen to get pregnant, well, you know what? If I don't abort the child, then I won't really bring the child up. But they're not going to mess up my life. And you will hear a lot on the telly, folks. And please listen to me on this one. You will hear a lot on the television about the lack of fathers. Right? True? Lots and lots about that. And that is absolutely correct. That's true. But let me tell you, from experience in this job, there's not a lot of mothers either. And there's fewer and fewer, never mind the paternal, fatherly concern for children. But I have seen, I have witnessed, you know, in my ministry, shocking mothers. Mothers who care more about their own lives, their own futures, than they do their children. That's not right, folks. Come on. It's not right. It's not just the abortion you see. It's not, it begins with abortion, and then the fathers, they're, they're not good fathers, but it ends up with the very mothers who despise their children, and they think, well, what about my life? What about what I want? This is the spirit of the age in which we live. Here we are, 2011. This is what the world is like. Now, we are supposed to know that, discern that, and then take up the opposite, which is the spirit of adoption, okay, which is all through Scripture, Old and New Testament. Next slide, please. Who's that? Damalona Taylor. This is a tragedy, folks. 
Many of you will remember him. Damalola was 11, he was a Londoner, and he was coming home from school one day when he was surrounded by a gang, and he broke free, and he ran for a little while, and he managed to get away, but they chased him. It wasn't a racial attack. There were 11 boys that chased him, and they were all black too. So it wasn't racial. It was motiveless, just robbery and stupid things. They chased him into a block of flats in a stairwell. They took what they could, and one of the guys pulled a knife and stuck it in his leg, and then they all ran away. But they severed artery. And Damalota Taylor bled to death in that stairwell. Now, that happens more often than we would like to think. But why did he become famous? Not just because he had excellent parents. Why did he become famous? Why do we remember? Why is there a building in London today called, you know, the Damalola Taylor Trust? I'll tell you why. Does anybody know? Because of the 11 boys who killed him, how many of them do you think had a father at home? None. 11 out of 11. He had. He had a very good mom and a very good dad. He had been to school and he was going home because he was a boy from a balanced family. But there were others, you see, where the fathers were not there. And the reason he became famous is because the government, quite rightly, made a big issue out of it. And they said, do you see the result of single parenting? And, you know, don't get me wrong, many single parents do a fantastic job. And praise God for that. But it is, it's shocking to think that 11 out of 11, every one of those children who killed that child were also, every one of them, from a single parent family. And what happens in those families, particularly, of course, if the mums aren't saved, they pour their energy into the children. And very, you've only got so much emotional energy, you see. And if you don't have a husband pouring emotional energy into you, you get it? You get empty. The woman gets empty very quickly. She doesn't have it. And I know I've sat with the mothers of, of, of kids who are on drugs and this and that and the other, where there's no father in the house. And I look at them and I think, wow, how quick we are to judge you, mom. How quick we are. And then when you see the inside story and you see that woman has no support, no help, nobody there to back her up because it's a team, right? Marriage should be that team. And, and, and they just don't have the emotional strength or ability or, or energy to look after their kids and then they run wild like this this is the spirit of the age in which you live and the opposite of this is the spirit of adoption it couldn't be more opposite i mean someone who adopts a child and if you're possible for you to do that i would ask you to think about it if it's possible for you why not someone who adopts a child does the exact reverse. You know what? Such a couple say this. I know that this is going to be a huge inconvenience, if you like. I know that this is going to cost me a fortune. I know that I won't be able to pursue my own life. But we will make this sacrifice. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. Someone brought me up. Now, I, in turn, will bring someone else up. I will pour my love, my heart, my life, and my experience into another being and set them out into the world. That's a good spirit. 
But it's the opposite of the age, and I'll come to it in more detail in a moment. It's the opposite of the, of the age in which we live. Maybe we should do a refresher series on end times because this week has absolutely shocked me. I, I, I come from Belfast, <laughs> so I know what riots are like. I grew up with them, but they were not like that. This week is shocking. I think this is probably the most significant week in the history of this country, even more than the wars. Not, you know, we went to war in First World War, Iraq or whatever. I think what we've seen this week is much more significant for us. Because it's, I don't know if you're aware in any detail of what's happened, but I'll, I'll cover it bit by bit as we move through today's message. I want to draw eight similarities between how God has adopted you, because that's what He's done if you're born again, and how we should have this same spirit of adoption. And I would ask you again, if, you, if it is possible for you to do that, to think seriously about it. Similarities are this. Number one, to adopt a child, and God has adopted you, is a very, very costly business. Turn to Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 4. Look at this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, that's you, that were under the law, that we, may, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Absolutely wonderful words there and a wonderful promise from God. But I want you to see verse 5. To redeem. Before the word adoption is used of you, the word redeem is used. He redeemed you so that he could adopt you. And I want you to notice the first point on your notes this morning. Adoption costs. Redemption, the very word redemption means to pay for something, to buy something back. And God had to pay without a shadow of a doubt the greatest of all costs for you and for I that we could be adopted. How much do you think it costs to raise a child today? Next night, next night, please. Take a look at this. I can give you this graphic. I can email it to you or whatever or get you a printout. But it's actually quite shocking. It's expensive stuff, man. Right? If you work through those figures and they've broken the figures down into the different ages of your child... The average in the UK currently to have a baby and raise that baby to about 17 and don't send them to college. If you don't pay for college, it, it's coming out at about 180,000. So if you've got your child sitting beside you, give them a nudge and say, you cost me 180 grand. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, if you send them to college, it's more. It's probably about 230,000 pounds. And it's the same in the States, even though the States are such a low cost of living. But it's pretty much similar in America. If you go through the college phase, you can add another 50 grand. Now, it's good if you have more than one child, because then it's like buy one, get one free. You know what I mean? You can reduce the costs, right? But you need, you would be a fool to have a baby and not think ahead of those costs. Amen? You'd be crazy. It's really, you need to take responsibility. And a lot of what we've seen, as I say, this week is people who have not taken responsibility or followed through with their responsibilities. That's a lot of dosh. And it shouldn't be social welfare that's paying for it either. <laughs> Amen. Amen. A man should look after his own home 
and should provide. It's one of the first biblical principles. God doesn't take any prisoners on that one. Man does not work, he should not eat. You know, scathing, really, treatment this gets. But that's kind of, you know, scary figures. And, and you would be very foolish not to count the cost before having any child. You would need to do a few calculations. But, okay, so it's going to cost me 180 to 220,000 pounds to have a child and raise a child. I wonder how much it would cost me to save that child. Because I can have them. I can even raise them. But I can't save them. I wonder how much that's going to cost. Of course, you can't pay for that. You can have the children and you can raise them. But you know what, folks? You can't save them. Because they stand alone before God. And there's another father. There's God your father who in history gone by has made a calculation concerning you in full knowledge of what it would cost him. He laid down the life of his son so that you could be adopted into the family of God. And with the same seriousness, we need to look at life. Because when you have a child, you are... It's like getting married. When you have a child, you are giving your life to that child. Can you say amen? Amen. You are giving your life. And from that point on, you lay down everything and you raise those children and you care for them and they become your priority. And that's the, as I say, that's the opposite of the spirit of the age that is, is running riot in the cities in this land. And we need to be the antidote. We need to at least understand the problem. God paid a high cost for you and for me. It was a calculated, considered decision to create you. A calculated, considered cost. He knew what it was going to be for him. We'll come to it in a moment. He knew what you were going to cost him. And the suffering and the pain, but it was worth it. In fact, a sheer joy, it says, for the joy laid down before him. Christ endured the cross so that he could redeem you. Fantastic. Number one on your notes. Adoption is costly. And if you're going to adopt a child, and I hope some of you do, even think of that today for the first time, why not? Why not do that? The second thing about adoption is that it's legal. God doesn't do anything, really. There really is a lot more to it than meets the eye. You know the Ten Commandments? When you look at the Sunday school books or something, very often they'll have the Ten Commandments and it says in the Bible that there were two tablets, remember? Two stones. And many of a book writer puts five on one and five on the other. Uh Uh-uh. No. It's a contract, you see. It's a covenant. There's a legal aspect to God. It's all through Scripture. He, 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 he has bought you at a price in the courts of heaven with justice. There were two, like any contract, the Ten Commandments had ten and ten. One for you, one for me. You make any covenant on this earth or any contract, and there's two copies. Same with the Ten Commandments. I just want you to see, there is, God is a judge. He's a king. And there's almost like a justice system. You see, our sin demanded death. Our sin demanded eternal legal separation from God. That's what it demanded. But God legally justified us just as if we never sinned 
by going to the cross. And we can thank God this morning that His love, you know, overcame the law. His love paid the price for you and for me. Hallelujah. So it's costly. It's legal, so you don't have to be afraid. And number three, and this is just absolutely fantastic. We're blessed with the spirit of sonship as we just read. Just take a look at that again. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at this. This is our right if we're born again. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And by that spirit, you can cry, Abba, Father. Let me explain to you what that means. God could have just said, you're born again. You're born again. So why do I need to be adopted? (laughs) Is being born again not enough? Is there something else? Is there something that I've missed? God does not only say that we're born again, but he goes further, much, much further. He says, I also adopt you. And we need to understand what that means. What's the difference? Or what's that addition? I'll tell you what the difference is. It's easy for any man to go and have children, right? But you may not be the father to those children. You may be the genetic father. But you may not be the father, the Abba. Abba. You may not be that. And it's not just about being saved so that you're legally justified. It's not just about that. It's also about a loving relationship with a God who has paid the highest price for you. That's what it's about. I was walking down uh, through a park in Cardiff. I'll never forget it. It was years and years ago. But it was a terribly sad situation. I was walking down. It was a lonely you know, park in the middle of Cardiff. And in the distance came this young lad, about 12. And he was pushing a bike, you know. And, and, and a long way off, I could hear him crying. And he was wailing. Whoa! And it was a strange thing. Wailing and pushing his bike and crying. And you know what it's like. You, you can't talk to kids these days. You get arrested, you know. And I didn't know what to do. But I saw the guy coming and I felt sorry for him. And the nearer he got, I thought, oh God. And, and I turned and I said, hey, are you okay? And he barked back at me. No! Look, my tire's flat. He had a flat tire on his bike, you know. And I... I said, it's okay. Take it home. You, your, your, your father will fix it. I haven't got a father! And on he went. Crying and weeping. And it was awful. Terrible. He does have a father. He just doesn't have an Abba. He doesn't have a father who cares or who loves him or supports him. And so he can't cry out. I've got no one to go to. That's what he was saying. And that's what the scripture says when it draws a distinction between you being saved, born again. That's fine. But there's more to it than that. You see, God wants to pour a spirit into you. It's called the spirit of adoption. He wants to pour a spirit into you so that when you feel low, you cry out, Daddy. When you feel sad, or feel that you can't cope, you cry, Daddy! Abba! And it's a wonderful thing, folks, you know. Can you think of anything more sad on this earth than someone who's in trouble and can't cry out to God? 
What a sad thing. When they don't know Him, don't recognize Him, and He's not in their lives. But don't answer this question. What do you do when you're in trouble? Because that, if you turn to God, and if you cry out to Him, and you say, Daddy, help me! You know what that is? That's what you just read. It's the spirit of adoption by which you go home and you close your door and you're in intimacy with your Abba Father. Not just a genetic or DNA link, but a heart link. And that's what God wanted to tell us. That's what Jesus, if you remember Jesus one day when he was praying, the the disciples, they recorded it. They heard him praying. What did Jesus pray? Abba. And of course, that was as far removed from the Jews as you can imagine. They wouldn't even use the name of God, right? Remember Yahweh, as Joseph was teaching us a few weeks ago? They wouldn't even use the name of God. But here was Jesus. And the apostles walked past. And they turned, did you hear what he said? He just said, Daddy, Abba. And they were so astounded by it, they recorded it for you, for me to see something and to understand that that's my inheritance. It's not just the legalities. It's much more. Jesus could have stopped at just saying, I'm born again, I'm saved or whatever in your case. But he's gone much further. It was costly. It was legal. And thirdly, you should be blessed. You should be experiencing that spirit of sonship. And number four, and probably very pertinent for this week that we find ourselves in. <coughs> Excuse me. It w- the adoption that God gives us, when He takes us into His family, when we become children of God, it is intended to, ha- to, to cause a moral transformation within you like any father does to his child. Right? And b- before I get into a- a- any detail, folks, oh, when I grew up, if I did something wrong, hello I would get a good smack off my father thank God for that hallelujah and there's no quicker way you know know what the Bible says if your father does not discipline you he does not love you terrible but if your father disciplines you and keeps you in order he proves his love He's not looking for a friend. I don't need you to be my buddy. I need to raise you correctly and well. Thank God for that. I thank God as I look back. When my father, listen folks, when my father had me, it was a moral transformation. He brought me up. And it was a moral thing. And that's what this spirit of adoption, it's intended to be the break in your life. Every Christian... You know, you can go wrong, folks. You can go seriously wrong in life. So don't take your Christian walk lightly. You're sitting here this morning. Will you be here next year? I hope so. But you know what? You can think of people, and I can think of people who lost it. Where are they? Where did they go? What happened to them? Do you know this spirit of adoption? Do you know what it is? It's a break. And when you find yourself going wrong, And you feel that gentle hand against your chest saying, Stop! That's your father. That's a wonderful thing. And what we've seen on the streets of London, of Birmingham, of Manchester this week, 
What have you seen? I'll tell you what you've seen. Children who had no break. Children who had nothing within them saying, Stop! There was no restraint. Nothing holding them back. That's what we've seen. Because there's no fathers. Nothing holding them back. And this spirit of adoption that God wants to put into you is also a, a great protection for you in the days in which we live so that you don't go with the crowd. But it will be your discipline, be your guide. The Holy Spirit protecting you, guiding you like a father does. Now, let me just get this here one second. Please don't leave until I'm finished this, what I'm about to say because this is highly controversial and very, very, very touchy stuff here. Sorry, the stand won't stand fully up. This week, I have heard more racial abuse of the black community in Britain than I've ever heard. I've heard more things being misconstrued and misunderstood than I've ever heard in my life. And I want to give you a little... The, well, it, it, the way I see it, what's happening in the UK at the moment... Or, or at least talk about it from my perspective. <coughs> Excuse me. 20 years ago or so, on the west coast of America, the gangs began really prospering, right? And they all end up in, in the east coast prisons in LA, San Francisco, etc. And in the prisons, the, the, the clothes never fit. They used to give them big prison uniforms and it'd be five sizes too big and everything else. Oh, baggy, you know. And then about 15 years, 20 years after being in jail for 10 years, the gangsters, er, gangster, ER, started to get out. And after spending many years in baggy clothes, they kind of liked it, you know. And it was a sign of their history. It was a sign of their pedigree. So they began to create fashion. And it was the whole baggy, you know, the story. Right? And then the gangsters, which we have in every country on earth, they kind of changed. And they become gangsters with an A on the end. And now you have the whole gangster rap and all that. I want you to understand what we're facing, not just in Britain, but around the world. There's a spirit behind this. Now, this week, many, many commentators have said that what they've seen in the riots, ah, this is black culture. That's what it is. This is the black culture. And you just kind of jump up and down in your living room and scream and shout at the TV, right? Listen. Listen carefully. When the gangs began to emerge across America, they were not racist. Because in the cells that they shared in the prison, the guy could be Chinese, he could be white, and they banded together and they shared blood. That's what they do. You become a blood, right? Racism, typically, I know I'm generalizing, but racism doesn't really exist within gangs. Typically, there are some. But certainly not in America they didn't. That wasn't the, the divide. Okay? So, in the gangs, you had blacks, you had whites, you had etc., etc. But in our communities as well. In London, you have the black community, which has so many forms, right? So many different cultures within the black community. You have the white community with many different forms. You have the Asians and the other. I'm other. That's me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> You've got all these different types of community. Now, listen carefully. Let's take London for an example. There's the black community. There's the white community. There's the Asian community. And then there's all the others. From this mainstream, there's dropouts. 
There's the homes like Damalola Taylor. There's the homes that have no father. There's a percentage that don't find a place in the Asian community, in the African community, in the white. There's a percentage, and it's growing very fast. And they drop out, and a number of them are forming what we call the gangster culture. Okay? And if we didn't know it was there, we found out this week. Goodness me. Wow. Staggering. Staggering. Now, the problem is, folks, and listen carefully, because I want you to be an apologist for this in this city and anywhere you go, so that people understand. What people have been saying is they have been confusing the gangster culture with black culture. Are you with me? And they are not the same thing. They are entirely different things. It's very wrong. And it will lead to racism in this country if we don't understand what's happening. And at least you do your part. And when you hear that type of thing said, correct them and say, no, you're making a mistake. There's black culture. There's white culture. There's Asian culture. But there's dropouts from this. And actually, this group is actually predominantly black. Sorry, but it is in this country at this moment, but not on the west coast of America. You'll find it much more racially mixed. However, this group is not denoted by its skin color. They're just bloods, right? They don't, they don't care about that. So this is really not a race. This is a culture. There's a big difference. We need to understand that. Tonight at 6.30, Ben and Eunice are going to lead us, and maybe Elson, you could share. Elson was a gang member, in case you wondered why he dresses the way he does. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, Elson. <laughs> Elson's going to come tonight and he's going to share a little bit with us about the gangs, okay, which is where he came from. And we need to take responsibility for this and change it. Now, the black community, you see, there's a lot of wannabe blacks. It's cool to be black, folks, right? It is. Come on, all the black people say amen. <laughs> Look, years ago, and you, I, tell, I could get myself in a lot of trouble here. I tell you, maybe just be quiet. Years ago, it used to be cool to be American. For a little while, it was actually cool to be Irish. Not long, though. Only lasted about three weeks. <laughs> but this group here, the, the, the one thing the Africans have on this earth that no one can touch them on is style. Man, you got style built in. So this, this particular group exude that. So what you've got is people from all these communities. Now you've got white guys who look as if they're black. There you are. You see? And they have adopted the culture. They've brought it in. They've, they've joined a subculture. That's what it is. I just want you to get loud and clear and understand one thing. The violence is not because of the black community. Amen. The vi don't fall for it. It is not the truth. The truth is, those, those crowds were from every cultural background. And the leadership in those crowds was this group. Not this group. It's a subculture, it's a gang culture, which we have been very careless about. I have to say, in this country, they have warned and warned and warned and warned that we shouldn't do, or we, we, we should try and deal with this in some way. And we've let it run far too long and look at the result. So tonight, at 6.30, we're going to pray and cover the nation, cover Birmingham, cover Manchester, and anywhere else where this is. Three people arrested in Scotland. That's good news, if you know what I mean. Only three. There's two and a half thousand or something arrested in England. So praise God that he's protected this land from this craziness. But we need to keep our guard and, and stay focused and pray tonight. 
So number one, adoption is costly. It's legal. We are blessed with the spirit of sonship. And by that there should come <coughs> a moral transformation. Number five is that we, we are rightfully heirs then. Heirs together with Christ. And I'll deal with that at another time when we deal with another book actually just specifically because it's a big topic. Number six, your adoption as a child of God is not an accident. It was planned. In fact, it was planned before the foundations of the earth. You know, look folks, when a couple get married and they try for a child and suddenly they realize that one of them is barren, they realize they can't go through with plan A, they say, oh, well, let's just go with plan B. Let's adopt a child. And you can have a, like a linear sort of approach that you can think, number one, I want to have a natural child. That's fine, no problem. But if I can't, then second best, wrong, second best, I'll adopt. And you know, that is not the way God does this. That's not the way he views it. Listen to me. Having a natural child is unique. And it is not to be compared with adoption. They're two different things. They are both unique. They both have their own benefits and pluses. But you must not compare because therein lies really what God doesn't do. We are equal heirs, he says. In other words, there's no differentiation with Scripture and adoption and sons. Right? Equal. It's an important point. You are heirs adopted by God. And your adoption is not plan B. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be somebody's plan B. <laughs> you know what I mean? You are God's plan A. I'll, I'll show you. Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says so. Adoption is God's first plan for you, not his second one. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him, when? Before the creation, plan A, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure and will. Why? To the praise of his glory and grace. That's why. There's a lot in those scriptures right there, a very great deal, and I would encourage you particularly focus on that in your cell groups. God did not look in the Garden of Eden and think, oh no, look what Adam's done. I can't believe it. Adam's messed up. And that's not what happened. You being adopted was God's plan A. Actually, God has a natural son. Who's that? Jesus Christ, the only begotten son, the only son of God. It's eternal son, actually. It's the eternal structure of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's always been the son of God. He didn't just become the son. So God has a son. It's he, he, almost family in nature, if you know what I mean, by being triune. Right? But he adopts us and brings us in and causes us to be equal, co-heirs with Christ. It's not a plan B. You're not second best. You're not an afterthought. And the means of your salvation was God's original plan. And if you understand that, you will ask, why? Well, there's why. So that God would, so that, to, to, to the praise of His glorious grace. That's why. To the praise 
of His glorious grace. You see, in one sense, if I, I grew up in a home and my father's a good father, I can thank him for that. But I think what God is getting at there, if I'm abandoned, and if I'm all on my own, and I've got no father, and someone who is not of my bloodline, the Virgin Mary, someone, another father, comes and takes me and brings me and makes me his own and gives me that blood transfusion, I think I would praise that father. Wouldn't you? And that's what God wants you to see. It wasn't, he couldn't have natural son. God is complete. He will never change. But what he could do is he could have you. And through Jesus Christ entering the human race, he could adopt you into his own. Awesome, awesome goodness of God. So you're not a mistake. You're not plan B. You are God's eternal plan A who in full calculation of the cost it would be to him for the suffering and death of Jesus, he still created he still let the whole world come into being because he had set his eyes on you and on your eternity. God is bursting to share himself. That's what it is. He's a creator. He's bursting to share his life and for us to be with him. It's a painful route. And one day we'll understand it more fully. Number seven, we have been adopted from bad situations. And truly, that is the case. No child in a good home and a stable family needs to be adopted right? Most often, if not always, people are adopted because there's a problem. Something's gone wrong. So we're adopted from pretty bad situations. But I'm afraid it doesn't, as I've done a bit of research for this message, I tell you it's shocking stuff, folks. Have you any idea the number of adopted children who abuse their parents or even kill their parents? It's called adopted child syndrome. Even a little bit of research, I found a couple who were murdered in Alabama, in Missouri, in the Philippines, and I can remember a few others just from my own recollection. Because what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Listen, you've got probably a low culture. You've got someone here who's, you know, disenfranchised from life. Their parents are dead. Their family's not functioning. They're dysfunctional, and they're out there. So they're from a, a, a bad place. Typically, you've got a couple who have a bit more about them, probably a bit more money, probably a higher social class, and they reach down and they make contact and they pull up. Do you think that's going to happen without a little bit of conflict? And so you see the couple with full knowledge. I am reaching out of my social class. I'm bringing someone up and I'm sacrificing for their good, not for my good. And so God wants us to see that so that we understand Him. Because He's in glory, sinless. And he reaches down to us. Is there a conflict? Absolutely. And there's plenty of it. And very often we can be bad sons, bad daughters, bad children, rebellious, not understanding his discipline, not understanding his goodness, and judge him, etc., etc. Adoption is not a smooth road often. It's a painful one. And indeed, that's my last point. I'll just invite the worship team back, please. Point eight, and the last point, is that God makes it very clear that he suffered on the cross so that we could enjoy his glory later after this life. And so it is with us. If, if any of you, in fact, 
would consider adopting a child, please come and see me today or any day or go home and pray with your husband, your wife. But I think it would be a very good thing for us to do. I know many of us sponsor children around the world and stuff like that, but that's fine. Continue to do so. But I'm talking about something more. Or even pray for your future, as, uh, for your marriage, etc. Would God give you that spirit of adoption so that you would be distinct in this age that's going so dark? Stand and pray with me one moment. Oh, hallelujah. Come ahead, guys. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that the message we've heard this morning would permeate our hearts and our will, that we would not be selfish or self-indulgent or go with the spirit of this age, but that you would make us shine like, like stars in a dark world, God. I pray for this spirit of adoption, first of all, to fill us. Just raise your hands, folks. Would you send the spirit of adoption, God, into us so that we would always make you the first place we run to, that we would cry, Abba, Father, and know that you are our good, good, good God, our good Father, always there for us, ready to support us and help us. And this morning we cry, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy God, come and fill us with that spirit of adoption so that we would not seek others for comfort or help in any wrong way, but would cleave to you and cling to you and God, we pray in advance of tonight's special meeting we've called that you would equip us for prayer as we pray for this great nation, that you would restore law and order and sanity to the youth of our nation. God, we take responsibility for them and commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.